good to be connecting back in, uh, in Sunday school again, and I, I've had a good time not teaching, um, but it's been, been very sweet. Uh, I love to teach, obviously, but it's been a, a nice break. Rich has done a phenomenal job, and uh, we'll talk about that in a minute, um, but yeah, just super thankful uh, for that. But this is the last Sunday, if I, my math is right, my dates are right, that everybody's going to be together. Is that correct? You guys are, most of you are leaving next week. What's that? Yeah, within the, within the, this, this upcoming week, yeah. Or yeah, I guess it is Sunday, first day of the week. Huh, should know that. You're leaving this week. Um, most of you are. So, good. Just show of hands, how many of you are planning to stay the majority of the break? Raise them high. Okay, not bad, not bad. So a lot, a lot have probably already trickled out. Um, but this is our, our final Sunday together, and um, we just had a great semester, really in Boundless. I've just been really um, encouraged by you guys, encouraged by what we've learned and how the Lord's been working in our lives. Um, I don't know if you feel the same way. Maybe now is not the time to reflect, because you've got a couple more exams left. Maybe after that you can reflect, but... Um, I kind of get in reflection mode as the semester starts winding down. I start thinking about things. So, um, yeah, I mean, we, we've, had, we've had a good semester. Just Obviously, Rich just finished a series on speech in here on Sunday mornings. And so if you didn't hear that, if you missed some of those messages, uh, two encouragements. One, they're all online. So if you go to the Boundless page, they will be the most recent sermons on the, on the sermon player. And so you can listen to those. And also, um, at my request, Rich... Uh, formalized his notes uh, with all of the references. He was telling me about that this morning, and so we will put that on the Boundless page as a download, and I'll try, Christy, if you can make a note to remind me, or this is my note to you, to send an email out um, with that hyperlinked in there so, this, so they can have it. Because it's always hard. I mean, I, I get it. When you're trying to take notes and, uh, and there's lots of references coming at you, sometimes don't get all those and you want to go back and, and check them out. So um, he put that together, so I definitely highly recommend that. Uh, our words are important. Life and death are in the tongue, the Proverbs say, and so uh, we definitely highly recommend that series. And then before that, uh, we were looking at the gospel. What is the gospel? And that went way longer than I had anticipated on, uh, on Sunday mornings. It was about 10 weeks, so I, we, had, we had some fun there and went into, went into some depth. Hopefully you didn't get lost in the weeds of all of that, and um, we got the, the major, the major high points. What were they? Remember, what were the four high points? We kind of got it. Yeah, I think we we're getting close. God, man, Christ response, right? Yeah. So we looked at that. I won't go into the review. Okay, as tempting as it is. Um, so yeah, we looked at that, and a number of you guys out of that study had had mentioned to me that you wanted to talk through evangelism. I'm just curious, how many of you would be interested in that topic? Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, like the majority of you. The rest of you that aren't interested, sorry. <laughs> you can repent. So yeah, maybe we'll look at that. I have no promises. Uh, maybe we'll look at that next semester, but we'll look, if we do that, we'll look at the topics of outreach. How does the church do outreach? Do we do it corporately, individually? Um, church planting, how does that fit in? So that would, in my mind, that all goes together in terms of, of when we think about evangelism. Uh, very important to think through. So that'd definitely be a, a good study. Uh, I did 
try to work through a series on dating. That was my goal this semester, but we obviously didn't do that uh, because the gospel series took us a little too long. So as I'm thinking about next semester, I'll probably work that in a three or four week um, thing on dating because a number of you are beginning to date or thinking about dating or asking me lots of questions about dating. So it's like, hey, we can just try to knock this out. Um, so that, that will be good. And don't worry if you're married or engaged or single for, for life, the dating series will still benefit you. You'll see why whenever we uh, go through it. <laughs> All right. Uh, and obviously, we've been looking at 1 John in, on Thursdays, and uh, that's just been sweet, sweet for my soul. I love sequential exposition because it's, I'm always learning um, as I'm working through books of the Bible with you guys. I'm under the word with you, and uh, that's just been a thrill. So we looked at the topic of assurance, and we'll be back uh, in that on Thursday nights next semester when we resume. So today's a little bit of a kind of a, tw- a tweener day, you know, like some, of, some people are gone, some people are here. So um, as I was considering what to, to look at this morning with you guys, um, I want to pick up on a theme that we touched on in our first John study, uh, a theme that resonated with a lot of you as we were talking, and that's the, the theme of abiding in Christ. And um, I was even just talking with a, with a few of these guys up, up front uh, right before it started, and they were mentioning, hey, that was like, one of the most helpful uh, sermons from First John, so we just kind of did, did one on abiding. And so what I want to do this morning is look at as practically as we can at, at what that daily intentional time looks like with the Lord. Make sense? So I, I want to share from my own imperfect times. I want to give you a, a, a little bit of a, of a model. You don't have to do it exactly like I do it, but it's, all, it's all often helpful to just see, okay, wow, this is what he does in the morning, or what he, what he aims to do in the morning. Um, and something that you can see and, and mimic if you struggle to know exactly what, what to do when you have a quiet time or when your times with the Lord aren't all that you think they should be, which is all of us most of the time, right? Or maybe you're not completely convinced that this daily quiet time is necessary. Maybe you think, well, this is kind of, I just kind of commune with the Lord all day. You know, and so I don't really need to set aside a time to, um, to commune with him. Or maybe you, you know you should, but it's easy to, to justify letting it go, especially when you stayed up all night the previous night studying for an exam or talking with a friend or, or whatever. So um, our priorities often kind of get out of, out of whack here. And I know that the, the semester is the reason I'm choosing this topic now uh, especially for those of you who are in class, is um, I know the semester gets busy as you, as you go, and it gets busier toward the end. You kind of get uh, hamstrung with finals and projects, and you wish you'd manage your time better, and I know. Um, so you, you get there, and uh, our priorities kind of get out of whack, and you're just trying to, trying to put the fires out. And um, we're tempted in those, those times to marginalize our relationship with Christ, uh, with other more pressing things, they seem to be more pressing in the in the in the moment, and then we when then, and then we kind of like take a breather and we realize we've gone multiple days without praying or really abiding in Christ, and um, and then we feel guilty for that, right? And it's just an additional discouragement. And you add on top of that that prayer itself is probably one of the most difficult disciplines in the Christian life to practice consistently and with depth. And so you've got all that brewing around, and it's, it's easy to get discouraged when we talk about uh, your personal quiet time. But you've got Christmas break coming up, and even if you're working, things maybe slow down a bit. 
And uh, it's a good time to reflect and kind of reprioritize. So what I want to do this morning is just encourage you um, and, and, and stimulate you to that end. So let's, let's think, let's just review real quick. Okay, what do we remember? When I say abide, we talk about the concept of abiding, what are we talking about? How would you answer that question? What does it mean to abide in Christ? Yep, that's right. Yeah, a, a persevering dependence on Jesus. So really, if you just want one word, it's depending on Jesus. That's a couple words. One, one verb, one participle, depending on Jesus. Yeah, uh, but yeah, this, this idea of perseverance is, is tied to that. So a disciple is one who continues, who perseveres, who remains um, in a dependent relationship on Jesus. And that's, John uses this language, the Apostle John, in John 15, and in the, in the book of 1 John, we've been looking at that. Um, he uses that language of abiding, and I think that's just, it's one metaphor that the Bible uses of this relationship. There's lots of, there's lots of ways the Bible describes these concepts or this, this idea of, of relating to Christ. But this is one that we've, we, we've camped out on and we're, we're going we're gonna to call it that. So, abiding is a persevering dependence on Christ and it's a persevering dependence for spiritual life and sustenance. Right? So, life comes to us through Jesus. We're sustained by Him. And this results in, has a result, this abiding relationship has a result, it results in an increasingly fruitful life. So it's a persevering dependence on Christ for spiritual life and sustenance. And it results in an increasingly fruitful life. That's what we saw um, probably about a month and a half ago when we, when we looked at this, this topic. That's what it means to abide. So how, how do we do that? I'll give you a hint. Think more broadly than just your personal quiet time. Abiding is a category that encompasses all of our lives, our Christian lives. So how, how do we abide? Okay, meditating on his word day and night. And he's, he's alluding to Psalm 1 there, um, which talks about that practice of meditation, meditating on the scriptures, on the word of God. Yep, meditation is key. Yep. Yep. Right, and that gets at the day and night idea of just like we're abiding in him at all times. So not just in the personal quiet times, but, but throughout the day we're, we're depending on him. He's putting us to bed, so to speak. He's waking us up in the morning. Um, we live in, in a dependent relationship um, on the Lord, and it's good to bring that to mind through the day. Yeah. What else is involved in abiding? Okay. How so? He said fellowshipping with other believers, if you couldn't hear that. How is that part of our abiding relationship? What's that?
That's right. Yeah, that's excellent. So what we might say if we kind of step back and you just want two categories for abiding, you just kind of keep it simple, you've got the individual category, you know, of maybe, uh, you know, what we've been talking about, this individual relationship with Christ, and then we have this corporate abiding that's taking place. So there's a corporate dimension to it, and there's an individual dimension to it. So we, we abide corporately as we come, to, we come here Christ proclaimed. That is a means Christ has set up himself via the local church to hear his word taught by pastors he's raised up to be uh, for your good, for your edification, and so that, so that the scriptures are impressed upon your soul, you're transformed and changed, and then you're a conduit of change in the life of someone else. You're helping them to remain in Jesus, to keep abiding in Jesus. So we help one another, and that's, that's done in that corporate context. We, talk about, we talked about prayer, we talked about singing, we talked about the Lord's Supper and the ordinances and how all of that just keep us depending on Jesus. And it really informs the individual relationship, right? So, but what I want to talk about this morning is the individual side, the Bible and prayer time, the quiet time, the devotions, whatever you want to call it, prayer and meditation. It's that time in the day that you intentionally set aside to abide or to renew your mind or to pray or to commune with the Lord, whatever you want to call it. It's that time or times that you set aside for mind renewal, for prayer, to commune with the Lord. That's what that's, and when I'm talking about this individual communion, this individual abiding, this is what I'm talking about. And so my goal this morning is that as you go into the break, you're going to go into it with a renewed desire to meet with the Lord, and that you'll also have an example kind of set before you of like, okay, here's at least the way one guy does it. Um, and then, but I don't, let me give a caveat out front. I'm not some like spiritual giant, but I have been in the faith longer than you, most likely. And a lot of this has come by uh, trial, uh, error, practice, you know, failure, and it's, it's, it's accrued over time. So it's, I found out what works for me, what's helpful um, as I've applied the principles. So I, it's not like a one-size-fits-all, um, but I, I definitely think uh, this will be helpful for you, maybe give you some things to think about. And I really want to structure our time around two, two basic questions. Okay? I want to look at, up front, what are the obstacles to this time? And we're going to pack a lot into that. Okay? So what are the obstacles? That's kind of the, uh, what, what are the thing, those things we need to overcome that keep us from having a fruitful time with Christ in the morning? And then the other, the other one where we'll end up going, like I said, is just like, how do I personally do this? What does this look like in my life? Um, and then again, just giving you a template that you can take what's helpful and um, try to implement. Or, you know, if you've already got your own practice, just compare. So, um, but oftentimes, you know, as I meet with, with, with you, you folks, um, and I was there, you know, it's, it's very inconsistent. Like, the, these times are inconsistent. And that's, that's okay, you're young in the faith. Uh, but we want to grow you into having these consistent times with, with the Lord. So, let's look at this first uh, area, this first question. What are the obstacles... Um, Another way you could maybe ask it, or what are some of the lies that creep into my heart about this, about this time, or about, about this discipline, if you want to call it that? Well, I think, number one, the first obstacle is we're not convinced that we need it. We might put it like this, we're not fully convinced that we need it. So again, nobody would probably admit that, 
but that's often functionally how we live. We're not fully convinced that we need this this time. And this is something I come back to often. Um, it's helpful to see that, that this daily time that's set aside and intentional is modeled in Scripture in multiple places. So, and it's commanded, not just modeled, but it's also commanded. So Paul tells us to pray always. He tells us to be devoted to prayer. And it means that that needs to happen with regularity. Okay, so to pray always, remember, is not you're just always in a state of prayer, but it means it's regular, it's habitual, you can count on it. And that's the morning and evening language that you'll hear, like in Psalm 1. And in speaking of Psalm 1, we're told to meditate day and night. It means, at, you know, at, with regularity is the point. Intended regularity with our, with our meditations. So we have an example of this in Daniel himself, who he, you remember how many times he prayed? Three times, it's set times, in the same place. So again, that's not commanded that we do it just like Daniel did it, but it's instructive, right? Um, there was a regularity to it, so much so that it was predictable. Um, people knew, knew how to trap him in that, because he, he didn't, didn't hide it. He regularly um, communed with the Lord three times a day, even in the same location. David also models this. Uh, if you, just, you scan the Psalms, and you'll see He's praying early in the morning. He's, he's meeting with the Lord early in the morning. He's preparing himself for the day. You see it at, the, at night. He's on his bed. He's bringing things to mind, his mighty, God's mighty works to mind, his law to mind. He's bringing all that to mind at night on his bed, sometimes even in the middle of the night. He's bringing it, on his, he's bringing it up periodically through his day when he's anxious and afraid, when his enemies surround him. So there's, intended, there's some regularity here um, in the life of David. Think about Jesus. He regularly prayed alone with his father, and he commended the practice to his followers in Matthew 5 through 7. He says, go into your, go into your room, go into your closet, shut the door, pray in secret. With your father in heaven, he'll see you in secret. He'll reward you. He habitually went, went off, and, um, and so much so that his disciples, you know, they realized they, that he had something they didn't. And so they asked him, like, can you please teach us how to, do, how to pray? <laughs> um, so his example was, was so important. And you think about the busyness of Jesus. Um, that's something I'm all often um, encouraged and convicted by, is John says at the end of the Gospel of John that if, if people were to write books about Jesus, like of all the mighty works he did, and they weren't selective like John was in his gospel. Like he only told certain miracles. He said the whole world couldn't contain the amount of books that it would take to capture how much Jesus did. So you talk about productive and busy. That was Jesus. And he would pull, a, he would pull aside for entire days for prayer. He wouldn't even tell his disciples where he was going. He was just, he was just bold. And they couldn't find him. And, and so again, I'm just, I'm just making the point. There was a regularity to what he was doing. And this is the Lord himself abiding in his Father, enjoying his Father's relationship, drawing strength from his Father. So my point in this first one is we're often not convinced that we need it. So I think the Bible wouldn't hold these patterns out to us, and they wouldn't command us to do these things if we did not need it. Make sense? And then you lay on top of that a text like John 15, which says... You can do nothing 
without me. And that is in the, the very context of this abiding chapter in John 15. He's commanding us here, for our good to abide in him, to learn to do this so that we produce much fruit and that the fruit would remain, i.e., you're going you're gonna to have lasting significance in this life because you abide. And if you don't, you won't have any of it. You can't do anything. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we really believe that? Do you and I believe that when our alarm goes off in the morning, that we can do nothing without him today? And yet, the promises, we'll talk about in just a minute, that there, there's abundant fruit is promised to us. We've got to know that outside of Christ working in us, there's nothing good in our flesh. We can't accomplish anything of eternal significance apart from him. So, I have in my journal, I'll talk about my journal a lot, and maybe I'll, I can flesh that out more at a later time, but in my journal at the bottom, okay, so each new entry comes in, you know, and then at the bottom of my journal, I have lists of things so that they're easy to access. And I'm talking about a digital journal, not a journal that is hard copy, because I couldn't really do that very well. I don't write backwards. I'm not Hebrews, okay? Um, never mind. All right. So, at my journal, I have lists of things, and I have, one of the things I have are lists of truths that motivate me to abide in Christ. And the reason I have that there is so that I can easily reference those truths. And one of those truths is, I can do nothing without him. I need that brought back to my mind on a regular basis. Because I drift. I start thinking, I can do some things apart from Jesus. And so I don't, I don't abide. So, we'll talk about that journal maybe more in a minute. But that's number one. We often are not convinced that we need it. Number two, we've got to move quickly here. We often don't realize the security of the covenant relationship. I'm going to unpack that. But we often do not realize the security of the covenant relationship. What I mean by that is the relationship that Christ has obtained for us. We don't realize, or maybe we forget, just how secure it is um, and why that's important is I think it gets at that, that resonant discouragement that we feel in our hearts when we miss a day or two of our devotion. You know what I'm talking about? And it's like, ah, you know, and it, the discouragement starts to compound. We know the Lord's displeased because we've neglected him. We've been full of pride. And especially as you start to trace your heart out and you realize when I'm not praying, that's a direct indicator of the state of my heart, and that means I'm full of pride. Right? Full of it. And I've not prayed for five days. So that means these last five days, it's just been a, I've just been walking in pride. And God hates pride. And you, you see how it goes. And that's true. Like, I'm not saying none of that's, that's not true. That's very true about us and about the state of our heart and about God's disposition toward the proud. However, we take that conviction and then we start thinking wrongly about his disposition toward us in Christ. And why this is so important, we've got, to, we've got to start here about our security in the covenant relationship is because Jesus earned our rights to the covenant relationship. In other words, you don't come to God with anything good in you, ever. Like, of your own merit. 
your relationship to him is always contingent on Jesus' obedience for you. And his, his obedience was perfect. And he stands to intercede for you even right now. And so I like to think about this at the beginning as I'm coming to, coming to God, is, is if I'm hesitant in my heart to draw near to him because of this guilt, you know, I say I've confessed it, you know, Lord, I've, Lord, help me here, but I'm still hesitant to draw near to him, it's because I'm neglecting the security of the relationship. I'm thinking something in it depends on me. And so we actually have confidence to draw near to God and, and to commune with him in fellowship because of what Jesus has done, not because of what I've done. So you can write down Hebrews 4.16 and Hebrews 10.22. Let me read that Hebrews text for you really quick. Just because we've not, we've not trafficked in Hebrews this semester. Unless you went to the devoted conference. He's talked about in chapter 10, um, beginning in verse 19. Everything before verse 19, he's talking about the significance of the new covenant and the superior sacrifice of Jesus and what he's accomplished for us and how serious it is to be brought, like how secure it is, how secure a thing it is, is to be brought into the new covenant. So again, we're in Hebrews 10. So he actually quotes some of these new covenant promises in Jeremiah 31 here in chapter 10. Back in verse 16, he says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Meaning there's like climactic forgiveness of sins. And that's what that means to be part of the new covenant. You stand forgiven. Always. In the covenant. So he says in verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. You can't atone for yourself. You can't atone by your habitual devotions. Christ is the atonement. So he says, therefore, because of that, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, that's radical. People died to enter the holy. Like if they, if they came in unprepared outside of the one day a year in the day of atonement, they died. If you weren't a high priest, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest, a great priest over the house of God, let us, here it is, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's, all, that's everything Christ has done for us, in other words. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. And then you see the corporate dimension in verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So the individual and the corporate are right there together um, that we talked about. But my point in this, citing this text, is it's the security of the covenant relationship that drives us to draw near. Make sense? And it's, it's contingent on him, not you. That's a great joy, right? And it's the doors of communion stand open always for you. And I think we have to know that God's disposition toward us is one of love at all times because we're in Christ. doesn't mean he's not displeased with sin. Love and displeasure can coexist, okay? 
but His love for you is never withdrawn because His love for His Son is never withdrawn. And that means that even if we've neglected the relationship for a period, that He has not neglected me, He has not turned away from me, He always stands there like the father and the prodigal son, ready to receive me, running to meet me. In fact, hemming me in so that my life is difficult so that he draws me back to himself. That's how he shepherds us as his sheep. And so repentance, think about this, repentance in your daily communion with Christ is always one step back. No matter if you, a thousand steps that way, it's always one step back. So you turn, you come to your senses, you say, Lord, I've been proud, and bam, there he is to meet us in communion because it's contingent on Jesus. Our relationship is secure in Christ, all right? Um, number two, that's it. We often don't realize the security of their covenant relationship, and so we, we don't draw near. Number three, the third obstacle is we miss the privilege of the covenant relationship. So not only is, is there open access, is it secure, in other words, point two, there's privilege to it. And we don't think about that often, this privilege to relate to God in Christ. To be fully under his covenant faithfulness and love at all times. We're often tempted to view the Bible, our Bible reading and prayer as a laborious duty. Something that we've got to do before I can start my day. And again, if that's you, you just press through that. You do it, right? And that's okay. But I think when that's, when that's there, we're often thinking um, that, that it, yeah, it's a burden. It's just something I've got to kind of either check off the box or just get done. But when we're thinking like that, we've missed the sheer privilege of the relationship we have, of the covenant union that we have with God. So think about this. To have this kind of unmediated access to God is something that the fathers, the Hebrew fathers, could only dream about and envision. They looked forward to. To have his ear like we have his ear is incredible. Because, again we have the full obedience of the Messiah credited to us. To, set, to have the security of his love based on the Messiah is unprecedented. And I, I often like to think about the fact that I have greater access than Moses had. And Moses spoke face to face with God in the tabernacle. His face glowed when he came out of there. And he had to put a veil over his face because of his friendship with God. But Everyone in the kingdom, the least of the ones in the kingdom, are greater than the greatest of the Hebrew prophets. That's what Jesus said. And because of him, because of Christ, the Father eagerly meets with us. He eagerly conferences with us. He eagerly draws near to us as sinful as we are because he loves us. He wants to produce fruit. He is committed to producing fruit. He has always been faithful to you. He will continue to be faithful to you. He has guided you your entire life, whether or not you've recognized His hand and were able to trace it or not. He has always been there. And what a privilege this is to be able to commune, to know this God and not be consumed by Him. And this is the entire reason that we exist, to know Him, trust Him, serve Him, be blessed by Him, reign on His behalf, and love his people, do it together um, with one another. 
So it's not your, your, your daily abiding in your Bible reading time might seem sort of a marginal practice, so you kind of get up, do it, and then you go on to the next thing. But it's actually the most important thing about you. It's the most central to all of your other priorities because it's your covenant union with the Lord. And I like to imagine myself, you know, in these times so when it's difficult and I'm struggling to, you know, get my heart in line in the morning. I like to just imagine myself like, man, if, if Christ, you know, I vision my spot, you know, where I go. It's like, if Christ were there, would I be like hitting the snooze button? Or would I get downstairs, put on the coffee for us both, you know, and like talk to him, ask him for things, you know? Like what, what would be happening? He's there and ready to abide. So imagine yourself pulling up the chair to the table with Christ as his disciple. He has called you out to follow him today. He wants to meet with you today before the day begins to hear, so he can speak his voice to you through his word so you can pour your heart out to him, so you can ask him for things, so he can go before you, he can shepherd you in the day, and you can trace his hand because he's there whether you see it or not. This is just our perspective to renew our minds to bring us into seeing what he is doing by being open to his shepherding. So all of this helps me remember the staggering privilege it is to read and pray in the morning. Right? Make sense? So then to neglect, to, to, when we don't value that, that's an obstacle. We miss the privilege of the covenant relationship. So we've got to, again, all of this stuff is good stuff to constantly bring back to your minds. Okay? Because we, we leak. All right, number four. Got to move quickly. Fourth obstacle is we are often unaware of the benefits that come from abiding in Christ. We're either unaware, we're ignorant of them, we, ne- we neglect them, uh, we forget them. And again, if you're thinking like, wow, how can, I, how can I forget so much of this that's so obvious? Because this is the most, again, the most important thing you can do um, in addition to coming to church. And so Satan's after both of those, isn't he? Your flesh is set against all of that. So if you're thinking that as we're moving through this, like all he's doing is saying some like very obvious basic things. Yeah, and we're going to forget that. So, and everything's set against us to forget that. So we have to bring these things to mind, okay? We, we are unaware, number four, of the benefits that come from abiding. Uh, you can write down Psalm 16, study it later. John 15, again, you know, that's like that text for all these points. John 15, Psalm 1, lots of, lots of places we could go. But let me just rattle off a few things. Wait for you to stop writing. Okay. I'll rattle off a few things of the benefits of the covenant relationship. Psalm 16, strength. Strength comes to us when we know God. Think about that. You're a weakling. So am I, in and of yourself. But when you know God, there's strength that comes to us. When we know that he is for us and not against us, that all things work according to his plan, that nothing can thwart it. No amount of evil, no suffering can stop the plan of God for my good. There's strength that comes from that. Psalm 16. 
Uh, joy comes from our covenant relationship with Him. Rejoice always, what Paul said. And he says rejoice in hope. And what that means is you can always rejoice. There's always an opportunity for joy. Why? Because your hope is secure. Your relationship with God through Christ is secure always. So it means no matter what sin you're in, no matter what rebellion you've been a part of, no matter what pride you've walked in, again, repentance is one step away and you can have joy. You can rejoice in hope. Um, Psalm 16, joy comes from a renewed relationship with the Lord. Inner peace and contentment come. And again, that's not Psalm 16. That's Isaiah 26.3. Psalm 119.65, inner peace, contentment. Um, again, just going to rattle off a few more things here. A renewed mind happens. When we, when we abide, discernment happens when we abide. We acquire wisdom, Proverbs 2, when we, when we abide. God gives us direction, back in Psalm 16 now, God gives us direction and counsel. He gives us stability in life when it's hard, Psalm 16. He says, I, I've, David actually says, I've set the Lord always before me. I love that. So there's stability he said, and he goes on to say, I'm at his right hand, I won't be shaken. We have security, um, ultimate security. Whoever, this is Proverbs 122, whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Like, I don't have to worry about the final judgment because I know God. John 15, there's fruitfulness and abundance. Ephesians 2.10, there's awareness of opportunities for good works rather than dread of responsibility. So I just threw that one in there. Um, what I mean by that is we wake up with dread sometimes, don't we? At everything we have to do. But when I renew my mind, and I conference with Jesus, he says, these are good works I've prepared before you to walk in. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you. You trust me. And the day becomes, nothing about my day changed except my perspective, because I know he's with me now. I know these things are for my good. Ephesians 2.10. Um, there's opportunity for answered prayer during the day. There's multiplied productivity and focus. Uh, there's endurance and difficulty. There's a deepening experience of eternal life now. There's lots of things. I just don't want to drown you, even though I just did. There's lots of benefits, in other words, and you study those out. Make your own list in your own journal. Don't forget them. Psalm 103. All right, number five. Got to move quick. We have unrealistic expectations and are thus easily discouraged when it comes to our quiet time. We have unrealistic expectations and then we're easily discouraged. So you start off with the McChain Bible reading plan. That's great. I love that. I have a Bible reading plan. What happens when you miss a day? And there's 10 chapters a day. Oh, you know. In seminary, the illustration was, my professors would always say, imagine yourself, you have tied around your neck a chain, and it's, and it's hooked to the back of a semi-truck. And the semi-truck's going to go, and you've got to run. And if you stop running... 
It's going to happen. That's sometimes how these Bible reading plans can feel. You know what I mean? You get behind and you get drugged, right? Because it's just, it's demoralizing. Now again, I'm all for a plan. I have a journal and I have a, a, and I have a, a spreadsheet that I enter in the amount of chapters I read every day so that I can know what my averages are, so that I can know I can get it done in the time I want to get it done in, and I can read a little extra the next day to boost my average, right? That sounds super unspiritual, but that's what I do. Because <laughs> I want to know the Bible, and that helps me, okay? So don't hear me saying that's not important. That's very important. But my, my point, the plan can often become the ball and chain that compounds your discouragement because you think, I'm just not being faithful. I'm not faithful. I'm not faithful. I didn't read 20 chapters a day. And it's like, okay, just read the dang Bible, right? Like, open it up, read it, <laughs> put your eyes on it, and, and trust the Lord, okay? So I think it's far better. Man, I got lots, there's lots of strategies here, okay? But you have these unrealistic expectations that you're going to read the Bible in six months or whatever, and it's just it's important to read it, Okay? So we, sh- we think, or, or some other thing that we do, is we think that our experience every morning should be like the Mount of Transfiguration. You know, like we're Peter and John, and we're like, whoa, like glory, you know, and it's, that's not how it is. Do your relationships, are your, rela- like, just think about your relationships, your closest relationships. Those are forged over time, through suffering often, right? Through commitment, through devotion, through duty, as you stayed loyal, even when it was hard. And so our relationship with Christ is no different, although he, it is different in a fundamental way. He's always loyal to us. And he never changes. And so, but when, our, when we think about relating to him, and then on top of that, we're full of sin. So sin does affect a relationship. So that means we've got to be a lot of repenting, a lot of, a lot of things that are going to happen. Like you wake up in the morning, you're not going to want to come to Jesus. All right? In and of your flesh. So more that we could say on there, but, but I would just say know that the relationship takes time to develop and also know that you learn to pray by praying. And on top of that, listen to how, how good God is. The Spirit translates your prayers to make them effective, according to Romans 8. How sweet is that? We're thinking about praying. I prayed so many selfish prayers, but he won't answer those. You don't have to worry. James 4, you're praying for idolatrous desires. He's not going to answer that because he knows what's best. He knows what you need before you ask him, but he wants you to learn to pray. He wants you to learn. He wants to teach you how to do that. So just like if you're like a little baby fawn, you know, just kind of don't know how to walk yet, that's okay. Admit it, and let's, let's get after trying to learn to pray by praying. Okay? We have unrealistic expectations, so we're easily discouraged. Number six, you're like, how many does he have? We're undisciplined. This is easy. We're undisciplined. We're easily distracted, and we love immediate gratification. Okay, So that's an obstacle. We're undisciplined. We're easily distracted. We love immediate gratification. What do we mean? Well, the obvious low-hanging fruit is we like to sleep. Okay, I'm with you. And then... On top of that, you know, the undisciplined side is we go to bed late. And 
you know, you're on the dorm and you've got your friends all around you and they're always wanting to play or talk or do whatever. And it's like, you know, you, and you have a hard time cutting it off. So you wake up late or, or you're, you're not disciplined in your school and so now you've gotten to the end of the semester and it's, everything's out of whack and you're just trying to get the fires put out. And that's, that, again, we have to be realistic. That happens a lot and that's you're, because you're young and you don't know how to manage these things super well and that's okay. But the point is that undisciplinedness affects your, your, your rhythms and routines. So you've got to think through that, navigating that. And I think lots of times we have a difficulty navigating between what's good and what's best. Okay? So that conversation with that roommate might be very, very good. And in fact, sometimes it might be best in those circumstances that you get five hours of sleep that night. Or you, you sleep in and you, you have a 15-minute Bible reading or you have a quick prayer on the way out because you've got the 8 a.m. class. The Lord is kind, okay? And he is patient, and he keeps us dependent on him. So, again, I'm not saying it's, it's like one-size-fits-all, but we often need to we often need help in, in discerning in the moment between what's good and what's best. And so what, what might be best is to say, hey, that conversation needs to wait. I need to get to bed. Um, so that Because my, my relationship with the Lord is of utmost importance to me in the morning. Um. Number seven, something in addition, you know, is sometimes our, our lives are legitimately difficult to get some time alone or away. Um, sometimes it's hard. That's an obstacle. It's just, that's the season of life we're in. If you're in a dorm and you've got people all around you all the time, um, that can be a challenge. Uh, if you're a mom with three young children and they wake up at six, my wife, um, it is very difficult to get time away um, without distraction. And so... Uh, that, can, that can often be a feat that takes planning and, and some, some, some strategy there. So, again, that's just another obstacle. And then, finally, number eight, we're just not sure what to do. We're not sure exactly what, what this time should look like. We don't have a clear vision or a plan for this time that we're carving out. And so that's going to segue into um, our second major question. I'll, I'll cover it quick. I've got five minutes. Um, but the good thing is, I live here. So you can ask me about this anytime. Or better yet, ask the other people what they do. Um, but what does it look like in my life personally? All right? Well, I do have a reading plan, like I said. And I think I found that's very important to know what I'm going to read the next day. Because if I'm just kind of like freewheeling it, that's, that's difficult. But if I've got a plan, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read these things. Um, and you, you can be creative with that. Like you can take like the day after on Sunday, like Monday, you can say my plan for Monday morning is going to be to meditate on the Sunday sermon. Um, it, again, like you can weave these things in. My point is just have a plan. Um, because our flesh gets in the way really quickly so I do, have a, I do have a reading plan. What I personally do to help me with the being overwhelmed with like some rigid plan is I, I have a list in, a, in an Excel spreadsheet. I know it's nerdy, but I have a list in an Excel spreadsheet with all the books of the Bible with check boxes beside of all the books of the Bible. So when I finish one, I check it off. And I know kind of what I've read and what I haven't read. And so I, again, I'm again, kind of weird, I have my, the arrangement of those 
if you want my spreadsheet, I can send it to you, okay? Let me just explain to you. I, I have the, it ranges as the Hebrew Bible. Like, it's the order I read it is the order of the Hebrew Bible, the canon of the Hebrew Bible. So I read through it that way, sequentially, just book by book. I'm in Leviticus now. We just, just restarted. And, um, and it's just to, to, to know the contents of Scripture. I'm trying to get it in me. So there's a reading plan. I uh, can talk more about that. But, yeah, I just, I, you know, and however many chapters I get through is however many chapters I get through. However much time I have is how much time I have. But I have a certain set amount of time, and I divide it in half between reading and prayer. Okay, reading and prayer. So when I, and when I come into the plan, when I come into the reading plan, this is God speaking to me. Okay? It may not be super clear, always exactly what he's saying, especially in Leviticus, but you might be surprised. Leviticus has been very helpful uh, to me in a lot of ways. Um, God wants to, wants to dwell with me, and it's a dangerous thing to dwell with God without Christ. <laughs> um, but what a privilege it is to be able to dwell with him, with, with Jesus. So Leviticus is teaching me those things. And then what I do, next thing, is having a reading plan and you know, generally reading. I'll read a psalm or something specific to pray through to teach me to pray. So I want to pray like the Bible prays. So I need help. Um, I need God to help me learn to pray. I need the Spirit to help me learn to pray. And so the psalms are just one way to do that. But I have all the psalms, you know, in a parallel list with check boxes beside those so I can remember where I'm at without having multiple bookmarks in my Bible. And I will, I'll check the next psalm off and I'll kind of pray through that psalm and pray something similar to what that psalm is praying. And often it challenges the way that I think, the way that I pray. Like, I wouldn't have asked for that today. You know, it's like, why not? And it, it, it begins to reorient my inner man. Does that make sense? So you can, you can look at Paul's prayers, you can look at the Lord's prayer, you can do whatever you need to fit in that slot. But I think having the Lord teach me how to pray is very fitting with how he taught his disciples to pray. And then third, the next thing I do is I, I diligently kind of pivot. The psalm is sort of my pivot to prayer. And then I diligently thank the Lord, if I haven't already, and I rejoice in the Lord. Because thanking God is an act of worship and it, it reminds me that I, I depend on him for everything. My salvation, every good thing, is all I'm dependent. And I rejoice because I, I'm reminded that there's always, there's always uh, a basis for my joy, no matter what I'm facing today. I'm commanded to thank God always. I'm commanded to rejoice always. So I want to do those things in the beginning of my relationship with him, bringing different reasons to bear in my mind, but diligently thanking the Lord and rejoicing in him. And then I begin to pray, and I pray in, in concentric circles. Um, meaning, I start with myself, and I pray generally for things, but I pray specifically that I have a couple areas of many that I could have, but a couple areas that are sort of front burner for me that I want to see the Lord work in. Guess what? Those are also in my journal at the bottom. So that's another list that I keep and I refer to regularly. And I'm always working on those things. I'm like bringing other truths to bear. I'm bringing strategies to bear to fight those things. But those are things that I use to pray, to pray for. And I thank the Lord for any fruit that's there in those areas. As I see any, any little tiny progress is fruit from him to be measured. And so that, that comes to him. And I, I keep track of that. I'm trying to trace his hand and, and how he's working in my life. That's something that I've done this past year. That's not been something I've done always. That's been tremendously helpful. Um, so I start with myself, 
Because if, if my heart is not right before the Lord, then I'm of no use to anyone else. Then, beyond that, I pray for my family, my closest relationships, and I pray for them every day. So those are, that are in closest proximity to you, um, that you're most responsible for, I pray for those folks every day. And then I move to, to two other lists, but I don't pray these whole lists. I only pray for whatever I have time to pray for. And one is my kind of, I think, a wider concentric circle of people that I'm, I'm in relationship with or connected to. Like I pray for the elders of our church and our church in general. I pray for our boundless leaders in here. I pray for TES guys that are in seminary. I pray for the group of guys I'm discipling. I pray for the music team and those folks. I pray for my extended family, for missionaries, and then any other miscellaneous front burner requests. That's kind of that, that list, okay? And I don't pray the whole thing. I start, again, I got check boxes, and I keep track of where I'm at. I might only pray for one person from that list that day, but I check it off because it's like I'm, I want to make progress on that. Then I'll go to the wider boundless roster, okay? So pray for you guys, and I'll work through that. Again, I might only pray for three of you in that morning because I might not have very much time. And they might, not, they might not be extended prayers. But what that's doing is that's bringing your, it's, it's the Lord using that to bring you to my heart and to bring you before him um, via your pastor. So uh, that's kind of how I think through that, that praying in concentric circles. And then I um, often, I didn't say this, uh, so let me go back to my daily prayers for myself. I will also pray for my day. I'll either pray that during my prayers for myself or I'll pray that at the end of my prayer time. So I'll kind of trace that out. Here's what my day is going to look like. Here's what I know it's going to be there. Lord, I'm going to pray for these things that you accomplished. I want to see, what do I want to see the Lord do in the day? So I pray for those things. And then at night, once this is what I'm working on, this is like another one of those active things I'm working on. I come back around and I reassess as I'm going to bed in my mind what did the Lord do? How did he work? I'm going to give him thanks as I'm going to bed, remind myself of the gospel. Um, but that could, I could work on that time as well. Um, and I'm still not to Daniel's model. Uh, but it, at least I'm kind of getting, getting somewhere um, with that. So there's a lot more we could say. We're already way out of time. So uh, if you guys have tons of questions, great. We might do 2.0 on the 26th, a couple weeks from now when I'm back up again. Next week, our brother Chet is going to be teaching, so I've asked him to do that and, uh, because he's considering seminary, and this is a good opportunity for him to get out here and test his wings, and so we all love Chet and are thrilled to see how the Lord's working in his heart, and he's a huge encouragement to me, so I'm, ex- I'm excited to share him with you guys and, uh, as he brings the word. So be praying for him, and uh, we'll be back together. Let's pray.